I preached on fear and anxiety. Um, if you guys would like to check out that sermon, uh, I thought it was a pretty good one. You can go. All our sermons are online. If you go to a New Philly Facebook group or if you look up newphilly.cc, um, there's a lot of uh, media and a lot of sermons that are up there. But you can catch that sermon. That was about fear and anxiety. And I want to continue on the same line of thought. And I want to talk to you guys today about joy, which is the opposite of fear and anxiety. I feel like everyone wants to have joy. Who wants to have joy in your raise your hand? Right? If you're not raising your hand... You're a masochist. Something's wrong with you. I'm just kidding. But we all want joy. Even the most melancholy of us, even the most introverted of us, right? Some of you guys are really introverted. You guys, you know, you get energy from being alone. Even the most introverted, mo most melancholy person still want joy in their life. The world is all about joy. The world wants to enjoy. Right? You guys are mostly on social media. You guys have all seen those pictures. Uh, of people putting up their feet at the beach. You take a picture with like a little drink in your hand and you want to show everybody, you want to show the world all of the things that you're enjoying. There's nothing wrong with that. I've done that before. But the world's understanding of joy and what God wants for us is very different. The world's def definition of joy comes from one thing. It comes from circumstance. Right? If their circumstance is good, they're happy they have, they have joy. If they're not, they're not. And that's kind of the running motto of the world, right? As long as my circumstances are good, I'm all good. And, then, and everything that you do in life, it boils down to you trying to make your circumstances better. I was writing this sermon at a cafe right here near Kwangali. It was the middle of the day, and there were all these people there. And I was like... What are all these people there? And if you kind of eavesdrop in all their conversations, they're doing some kind of business. They're trying to sell a house. They're trying to, you know, like do some kind of like, you know, like interaction so that ultimately they can make more money. They can get a better job. They can do this and that so that they can fix their circumstance. They can, the circumstances in their lives will be better if deal, this deal goes through. The circumstances in their lives is going to be better if, if, this, fall, if this continues on. And, and, and the world's understanding of joy comes down to circumstance. And, and I'm no better than that. I'm always thinking, you know, this, like, I think this way many times. I think that, you know, all of the years of being in ministry, being married, having two kids, my understanding of joy, sometimes it comes down to circumstances. I make, I, I, I mistake contentment for joy. And I'm always thinking, if this issue in my life is figured out, if this one thing is okay, then everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be all good. And we live our lives sometimes in survival mode. Right? As long as we survive, it's going to be okay. We focus on putting out fires. We think that when all of the fires are put out, everything is going to be okay. But God has a different understanding for us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're very different than the way that the world understands joy and contentment. He's not about putting out fires, but he's all about putting us through the fire. I talked about it a few weeks ago when, when David says that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't, you know, like, like he doesn't keep us from going in there. He doesn't say, hey, hey, you shouldn't go in there. He doesn't divert us to like a better path of like, you know, like, McDonald's and 
and, and you know, like see you, so I can get a soda. Like he 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 has us go through the shadow of the of, of the of valley of, the valley of the shadow of death. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three, you know, the 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 people the, with Daniel in that time, and and they God didn't like keep them out of the furnace. They they went into the furnace, and God was with them. He's all about putting us through the fire. And God wants us to be on a completely different plane, on a completely different level than the world. For us to have a radically different paradigm regarding joy and contentment than what the world understands it to be. Jesus tells his, his disciples in John 15:11, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then a, a, a chapter after that, in, um, in chapter 16, he tells him that you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And then a chapter after that, when he's praying to the Father, before he, he gets arrested, before he goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father on the behalf of his disciples and his followers, and he prays, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Jesus knows who he's talking about. He knows who he's praying for. He's praying for men who will be persecuted, hated, beaten, and ultimately martyred and killed for the faith. And he's saying, they'll have the full measure of my faith, of my joy. He's saying, I'm giving you a joy that can stand up to that. I'm giving you a joy that can stand up to anything and everything that may come against you in this life. And when we read Bible and when we study church history, we realize that the disciples and the apostles had this joy. Every one of them went through a life of persecution. Every one of them went through a life of suffering. But ultimately, they died for their faith. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this joy. I'm giving you this joy that, that can withstand and overcome even that. So what Jesus talks about and what the Bible tells us in, is that there is a joy available to us that is above our circumstance. A joy that is greater and can ultimately overcome whatever trials and tribulations that may come our way. In my last sermon, I talked about expectations, right? Like two weeks ago, I preached this sermon and I always I gave this analogy of that woman. I was stuck in this in this subway car. It was like packed, and there was this woman whose face was like right here, stuck on me, right? And she was like breathing like this. I just feel her right here, right, for like five stops, right, just just right here. And I'm and I say that she's able to go through that because and endure that experience is because she had an expectation that these things were going to happen. She knew that at that point of time in the day, when you ride a subway on the green line, that's just going to work. But she's going to be stuck in it. Really short. She's going to be stuck on somebody, right? She was able to endure because she was expecting it. And so many Christians get knocked around by circumstance, right? Something happens. They're like, oh, you know, like, you know, they're, they're like, everything is doing fine. And all of a sudden, some, something goes wrong in their life. And like, they're like, What's going on? They get knocked around by circumstances because they don't expect difficulty. They don't think I'm gonna. They don't think they don't expect trial. They don't. They think that you know, as 
As long as I pray, say, I'm going to pray that my life will get better. And when things don't get better, we get disillusioned. But I want to tell you something. Prayer is not self-help. Prayer is not self-help. It is God's help. It's not about your will, but it's his will. Jesus taught us to pray. How did he teach us to pray? He told us to pray about what we need, right? Give us this day our daily bread. I need bread. You could tell I need bread, right? I need, I, need, I need food. I need clothes. I need things in my life. He says, give us this day our daily bread. But when it comes down to desire, when it comes down to want, when it comes down to, to like, like uh, you know, not just need, but the things that, we, that, that is wanted, what it is all about, it's about him. It's about his wants, his desires, his will. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. God's desires and God's plans for us. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not like, God, I want this, give it to me. We do that all the time. I do that all the time. But then that's why sometimes prayers don't work. Right? It, it, the people say, well, God doesn't answer prayer. Well, you're not praying for the right thing. You're not praying in the right way. Well, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He says, hey, pray for what you need. Give us this day. I need food, God. I need this. I need that. These are things that I need. But when it comes to the desirable things, I want your desire. I want your will be done. I want what you want for me to happen in my life. So many times Christians enter into life with an expectation that one, bad things don't happen to us, and two, we're supposed to get what we want. Our circumstances are supposed to be the way we want them to be. But in today's passage, I'm going to read it later, right now, uh, and in other places in the Bible, God offers us a joy in spite of our circumstances. Jesus offers us the joy in John 16 that no one can take away from us. And so what does this look like? So I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. I know that this is not a particularly, like, you know, there's no word joy in this, but I believe that this is a representation of the source of our joy. It's found in Romans 8, verses 28 to 30. I'll read it in the ESV, and it says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestines, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The major misconception that many Christians have is that bad things are not supposed to happen to us. We believe that when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, our circumstances change. And let me tell you, a lot of things do change, right? The Bible tells us that we that that like like we are a new creation. The old has come, the old is gone, and new has come. New has come, and the old is gone, right? And we become children of God. We are justified by grace that was given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. These huge sweeping changes happen to us when we're saved. It does. Like in the Bible, like it says that we, like we're completely changed. We're completely transformed when we become children of God, when we become Christians. But it doesn't necessarily mean that our circumstances will change. That we're going to everything, we're going to get everything that we want. That things go the way we want them to go. Now, I don't want you guys to mistake what I'm saying with power of godly living. There is a power in godly living. Right? Godly living changes our circumstances. 
My life is a perfect example. I used to be a drug addict, came out of prison. There's all these like I was like the lowest point in my life, and then I and then I read, I like came back to the Lord, and then what happened when I came back to the Lord is that I started to make godly decisions for my life. Right? When I started to use wisdom in the Bible to direct my life and 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 live the way that the Bible tells me to live, like circumstances in my life changed. I started following the Word of God, basing my decisions on what God had to say. And when you make these kind of decisions in your life, your circumstances do change. You know, and sometimes they happen supernaturally. I, I was at rock bottom. You know, I was so hopeless, and now I have a life that I would not change for anything. And, and I have a wife that loves me; it's an amazing wife. I have two kids. You know, I'm preaching the gospel to you guys in the city. I would not change this for anything. And God had everything to do with that. God had everything to do with that. But it doesn't mean that there aren't trials. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be bad times. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get everything that I want. It doesn't mean my life will turn out the way that I want it to be. That it's going to be perfect and rosy. It says, and we know that for those who love God... All things. Everybody say, all things. All things, meaning the good and the bad. When we follow God, we will have good things in our lives. And when we follow God, we will also have bad things happen to us in our lives. But here's the promise. He says that all of this, all the things in our lives, the good and the bad, he's working together for good. That's the promise. Right? Now I've seen a lot of bad in my life. I've seen a lot. A lot. A lot of it came because of I was so stupid, right? and some of it came because you know it just wasn't my fault. I grew up with a very abusive father. Right? My dad, when we lived in Korea when I was seven years old, was very abusive. I used to beat up my mom. You know, he used to like beat us up. He was very abusive. He was an alcoholic. You know, and, and I grew up with this very abusive father. You know, and then we immigrated to America. And then I saw my parents have to work so very hard. My dad used to work six days a week. He always worked night times at the post office. We would never see him. He was always like sleeping or he was at work. Had this absentee father. And then being the only Asian kid in a mostly white neighborhood, I got bullied. I got made fun of. I got called names. Like not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. My name was Chin in America. They made fun of me a lot. More chins in the Chinese phone book. You know, all of these things, right? I got looked down upon. And then that, that resentment would build up in my adult years, and I would start to rebel. And it, I turned to drugs. And I wanted to be the man. And when I had drugs and I was on drugs, I felt like the man, right? I spiraled out of control, stealing money from my family, stealing cars, getting into fist fights with my family and my dad. Finally, one night, I was sitting in a stolen car. High-speed chase, helicopter, all that. You guys, some of you guys know the story. Getting handcuffed, putting into jail, getting a prison sentence, you know, like four years. And while in prison, my grandfather passed away. And I found out that they're going to deport me to a country I have never been to since I was seven years old. I had this image of Korea in the 1980s. And I was like, heck no, I don't want to go back there. Then 
finally getting deported. Two big U.S. Marshals escort me on this plane from L.A. to San Francisco. They drop me off at the baggage carousel with a box of my mom's letters from when I was in prison and like some documents that I had. And they say, goodbye, Mr. Lee. You're a free man, but you can never come back to America. And this feeling of hopelessness, feeling so stupid, feeling it's all my fault, right? Feeling so depressed, rock bottom. I've seen some bad in my life, but I've also seen some good in my life. You know, I, 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 had, a, I had a mother that in high school, when I was in high school, she came to the Lord in a powerful way. Her life radically changed, and she started to pray for me. And then when I was like a junior in high school, I got radically transformed at this retreat I went to. I got the gift of tongues. I loved the Lord, wanted to be a missionary. Went to a Christian university. Was transformed by God. I believe that my mom's prayers had many things to do with it. I was hungry for God. And even though I rebelled and was addicted to drugs, my mom still loved me and she still prayed for me. One day she told me that she prayed that I would go to jail so that she would know where I was. I wasn't home for like months and she thought I was dead. And she's like, God... Help him go to jail. At least he will call me. And I was in jail, and I called my mom. She was like, you're in jail, right? And I was like, how did you know, woman? She still loved me. She still prayed for me. I went to prison, and every month my mom and my dad would visit me. They would buy me food in the vending machines in the visiting yard. They would send money to my prison account every month so that I can buy food from the commissary. And I would finally get deported. They would still help me by helping me start a life here in Korea. That's good, man. I treated my parents horribly. If you knew everything that I did to my parents, you guys would like walk out of here. You guys, you guys would probably like, like see me in a completely different light. And I would find this church, meet new amazing people. And I would start praying again. And one day God would challenge me to tell my story about my past to my church. Nobody knew. I hid it from everybody. Our church used to be pretty big that up in Seoul, and nobody knew, not even me knew. And God challenged me, tell your testimony. And I said, no, they're going to judge me. They're going to hate me. They're... I used to be afraid to go near the offering basket just in case they thought that I, was, I stole something from them, right? I was, I was so scared that everybody would knew. But I ended up telling my testimony, and they didn't judge me. They accepted me. They loved me. And I would grow in this community. I would go deep with God in this community. And I used to think I would never get married. I was like, who's going to want to marry an ex-con that can't go back to America? Someone did. And we got married. And we, and we would plant this church. We'd come on this church plant. Eight years ago, we would, we would come and start this ministry together. And we would have two amazing boys. I've seen good in my life. I've seen bad and I've seen good. And God says that He will take all of that, all of the bad and all of the good, and He will work it out for good. But here's the amazing part. Here's the part that helps us to transcend our circumstances. The good that He's talking about is not a version of good that I can come up with. It's not a good that I can come up with on my own, but it's the good that He comes up with. He's working it out for His version of good. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, 
His good is greater than any good that I have experienced or I will experience in my life. And His version of good can overcome any difficulty and any pain and every, any suffering that I have experienced in my life. It transcends. I've seen a lot of good in my life. He's been so good to me. And I don't deserve it. But the good that he has, that he's working out for me, pales into comparison the good I see in my life now. You guys understand? That the good that he's promising me is not here yet. Right? We think, we're like so short term. We think, all right, he's going to work all this. You go through a bad day and you're like, oh, God's going to work all of this out for my good. Uh, Make sure it happens on Tuesday, God. Because I have a lot of classes on Tuesday. Right? No, we, we think so short term. But God, the good that God is working out for my good hasn't even, has, has yet begun to even happen yet. The good that I'm experiencing now is my understanding of my version of good. Right? We have good things in our lives because I, because I, I mean, living this way, and, and yeah, God has everything to do with the good. I, I give thanks to Him, but ultimately, it's not the good, the ultimate good that He wants for me. That's how, that's how we transcend. That it's not a good that we can come up with, but it's His good. It's His version of good. And whatever hardship and trial and suffering that we're going through now, He's going to take it and He's doing, going to do the thing that He's going to do and He's going to work it out so that no matter what suffering it is, no matter what we face, no matter what we endure, we're going to look back on it and laugh. We're going to look back on it and say, oh, <laughs> how trivial that was compared to the good that God has for me. Because what he has for us is so good. And this is the joy that God has for us. The world, the things go good. When things go good, great. Right? They're like, oh, yeah, it's all about me. Making that money. Got that job. Got that promotion. I'm driving that car. I got my wife. She's pretty, you know. But then when things go bad, they fall apart. But for us who are in Christ, when things go good, that's good. It's God working it out. We give thanks to God. We give glory to God because He's working it out. And then, but when things go bad, yeah, it sucks. And when things go really bad, we grieve. We mourn, we question God, you know, we can be angry with Him. But if we are in Christ, we are still left with the truth that even in the bad, He is with us and He is still working it out for good. Now, being a Christian means that doesn't mean that we can't get mad at God. A lot of times we think, like, oh, I can't get mad at God. He's God. You know, God's not an emotional teenager sitting up in heaven. You're not, you're not dating God, and he's not like, oh, you hate me. Oh, it's over, you know? God put a ring on it, right? God, God, God is, he's the bridegroom, right? Now, the relationship that God describes that we're supposed to have with him as a church is one of marriage, right? There's long-suffering. There's a, the good and the bad. In good times and in bad times, right? In marriage, we talk about in sickness and in health, right? That's because, you know, we get mad at God. God's not up in heaven holding a grudge. He's not passive aggressive. He's with us. In the bad. In the bad, we look to God and say, Why, God? God, this sucks. I hate you. And then you know what God is doing? He's with us in the bad. 
He's working it out for our good. Even in the worst circumstances of our lives, He's with us and He's working it out for good. Now some people think when bad things happen, we're supposed to turn it around so that it can be something that we can be thankful to God about, right? Someone loses a family member to, to texting and driving, and they're like, oh, well, at least even after her death, you know, like we, she's a, a message, she's the message of her life, and, 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 you know, like this warning can go out, you know, a message of awareness for people to not text and drive. That's not consolation for something like that happening in your life. We don't do the working out for good. A lot of times we feel like we need to switch our switch the way that we look at things. No. When bad things happen, we grieve. When bad things happen, we mourn. We suffer. We struggle. But if we are in Christ, even in the midst of the bad, He is with us and He holds fast. And we hold fast to the promise that He is working it out for good. And we're able to hold fast to the joy that he has for us because we hold fast to the truth that God really is good. The Bible says that he is light. There is no darkness in him. He is perfectly white, light. He's perfectly good. There's not even like just an, a, a tiny bit of bad. You know, you've seen people that are super good. The, the, the goodest person, you know, human being that I know is John Newfeld. I don't know if you know John Newfeld. But he used to be our worship pastor. He is like, he's like the, the, the he's like Jesus, right? Like I've never seen him get like, you know, like I've never seen him get like flustered. I've never seen him get angry. And I've seen him get a little bit angry, but it's like righteous anger. I've never seen him like, you know, like do anything. Like he's like the holiest holy man, you know, I've ever seen in my life. But the, and then one time I saw, I, I was, I was, I was hanging out with him, and I was like, hey, there's, there's a part of you that's a little messed up. <laughs> You're not, you're not holy as, as I thought you were. You're, you're not like Jesus, you know, in every way, shape, or form. Like, I saw this part of him. I was like, and then, you know, we were like laughing, you know, and we were, we were cracking up over it. But at the end of the day, right, every one of us, there's, there's, there's darkness in us, right? But God, there is no darkness. He is completely light. And we can trust him. That there is that what the good that he has for us is that good. It's perfect good. And we can hold fast to the truth that all the good and all the bad and all the really, really, really bad ultimately is going to be for us to be in the image of to be in the image of Christ. We will be like Christ. You know, Jesus had a good life. He didn't have an easy life. You know, he didn't have a comfortable life. He didn't have a wealthy life, but he had a good life. And God is saying all of this, all of the good and all of the bad that we face in our life, he is working it out for good, for us to be like Christ, not only to be like Christ, but to be his brother, to be co-heirs with him, to receive the inheritance that he gets, to be in his family, adopted into his family. That is the goodness. That's, that's like the, the, the trajectory of the goodness that he has us on. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. That's good. That's good. This is even the thought of that. It's like, good. God is making me like, like a Jesus. 
That, that's an amazing thought. He's making me, like, like the man, the man and God that never sinned, that lived a perfect life, right, that brought salvation to the world. God is using all of the things that's happening in my life if I am in Him, if I love Him, if I love God, He's going to turn all of that and then make me, put me on a trajectory to be like Him. That's good. And we know that God, we know what God wants to bring us into our life. But now, I want to talk about how. How do we have a joy like this? How do we have a faith that produces joy like this? Because this is not easy. I have this question in my life because this is not an easy thing to do. Because let me tell you, when things are going wrong and I have trials and difficulty in my life, I complain to God all the time. I'm like, God, why is this happening like this? You know, why is this happening to me? Why can't you change my circumstance? Why can't you make things so that, that it goes the way that I want it to go? Why can't you do this for me? I know you can do it, God. I say that all the time. God, I know you can do it. You can do anything. Why can't you do this for me, right? How do we have a faith like this that produces joy like this? How? And the answer can be found in the passage from today, Romans 8. I'll read it again. It says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And the key words here I want to talk about is calling and purpose. The power for us to have a joy like this is if we realize that we are called by God. There is power in the call of God. Do you guys know that? Our lives are special. We have fullness of life that He has for us, and it's because God called us. The call of God is what makes us believer when we answer and embrace His call. The call of God shapes our life. It forms our life. It challenges and it directs our life. And we look at the father of faith. Who's the father of faith? Abraham, right? He is considered a great man of faith in three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Muslims. Muslims believe that Abraham was their forefather. Why? What made him this way? What made him so special? What made him to be this great man of faith that is recorded all throughout the scriptures and even in the Quran? What made him this way? Was it because he was a special guy? No. It's the call of God on his life. The power of God's calling is released into our lives when we answer it. Abraham was just a man. He was actually an idolater. Joshua 24, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abraham's father was, was an idolater, He was probably raised as an idolater. So what made Abraham special? It was God's call on his life. He wasn't qualified for the call. The call qualified him. It's not like, you know, God found Abraham. Oh, he's a perfect guy. He has everything. I could check off everything that I want in him. I'm going to call this guy. No. God calls him. 
And that's what qualifies him. In Abraham's whole life, he was answering God's call for him. Genesis 12.1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He's like, get out. Go. Answer my call. He's like, where am I going to go? I'm going to show you later on. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You will have offspring that like, that's like the dust of the earth and the, and the stars in the sky. And then, God's, and then Abraham's like, how, how are you going to do this? And God says, you know what? I'll tell you later. You know, it was 25 years between Abraham seeing God and God promising him you know, to be a father of a nation and then Isaac actually being born. And then Isaac comes, and then God says, take your son and take him to the top of the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, why? And what did God say? I'll I'll tell you later. Every time in Abraham's life, the power for him to move forward came when he answered the call of God. And we see this same paradigm in the passage from today in Romans 8. He called us. But here's the scary part. He calls us, but we still have to answer his call. Abraham had to go. All of his relatives and friends and people around him were, do, were doing their thing. They were worshiping all the other gods, you know, worshiping, you know, the moon and the stars and all the, the crazy thing. And yet, he had to go forth. He had to take that step and he has to start moving forward. Romans 8 tells us that God predestined us. He knew he was going to call us. He knew that we were going to answer, and yet we still have to answer God's call. God doesn't give us the whole picture. He doesn't give us the where, the how, and the why. But he tells us that when we answer his call, he will work it all out. He's going to work all of that out, the good and the bad, for good, for his good. This is the power of in God's call. You know, Ethan and Ezra, Ethan's at an age where he's starting to understand things. Right? He's starting to understand like, like deeper things. Ezra right now, he just understands what he sees. Right? And he just understands what we, what, we, what we say this is. I say, this is a this? And he's like, oh, it's a this. And he's like, oh, it's a this. And he's still at that age. But Ethan is starting to question. He's starting to understand. The other day, we're reading the children's Bible with Ethan. Right? I was... I was writing my sermon in the office, and then Mina was putting them to bed, and Mina was reading the children's Bible with them. And then they came to the part in the story of Moses and the, and the Pharaoh and the Israelites where God sends out the ten plagues, and then the last plague is the plague or the, first, the, 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 the death of the firstborn son. And then Mina asked Ethan, do you know who, your, who mom's firstborn son is? And then Ethan's like, I am. And all of a sudden, I'm writing my sermon, and all of a sudden, they come into the room and like, he's like, my love, Ethan just read the story of the Pharaoh and the death of the firstborn son, and he's really scared. Can you pray for him? Can you tell him that everything's going to be okay? I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. And I tried to explain the best I can to Ethan. I tried to explain that well, Pharaoh was a bad guy. Right? And he, he resisted God. And ultimately, like, you know, 
you know, he, these things happened, but then the, the, the people that love God were, were set free, and I prayed for him, and he was like, okay, and he went to bed. But you see, we can teach our kids all we want. We can discipline our kids. We can give them an example of how to live and why. But until the call of God comes upon his heart, until he starts to be convicted by the Spirit of God, there's a stirring in his heart until the, the, this call of God comes to humble him and to, to, to shake him up and, and convict him and he is able to answer the call of God for himself. It's all information. It's all just stories. And until we hear from him and answer the call of God that he has for us, it's all just going to be information. And I can tell a non-believer about how amazing it is to be in a, in a relationship with Jesus. But until that person discovers and experiences the call of God upon his life, and they answer that call, it's all just going to be information. There's no power that's going to be released into their lives. But when we do, when we answer his call, he gives us the power to have the kind of joy that he's talking about the power to face and overcome all the bad that may come our way. The power of God is released through His calling. That's the first part. And the second part of this whole equation is how He calls us, what He calls us to. He calls us to His purpose. His will, His desires, His plan. God doesn't call us to a set of rules. He doesn't call us to a a certain way to live our lives. He doesn't call us to a certain set of circumstances that we're supposed to have in our life. He calls us to His purpose. It says, for those who are called to His purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to His purpose. Now we don't live for ourselves, but we live for God. To be a part of his purpose. Now when we face trials, when we face difficulty, when things happen to us that tries to steal our joy and, and, and try to steal our hope and try to steal our peace, right, we have a truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. But we have a truth that God calls us and we answered a call that God's going to work everything, the good and the bad. He's going to work it all out for good. This joy, it comes from surrender. You know, when I drive up to Seoul, sometimes it takes like six hours. I'll drive like five and a half hours, and Mina says, oh, you know, you want me to start driving? Like the last 30 minutes, and I'm like, oh, sure. And she starts driving, and I get to like sit in the passenger seat and recline. I usually take a nap. I get to relax. I get to rest. Let me tell you, when you surrender control, not to a man, but to God, who is the creator of the universe, all-powerful God who knows all and is everywhere. But not only that, He loves us. This love is one of the most important aspects of all this. He loves us. He He literally loves us to death. And when we experience that love, we're able to love Him back. And now we're able to surrender control onto Him When you answer his call, when you surrender to his will, when you surrender to his purpose, there is a power that gives us a joy that God talks about in the Bible, the joy that the apostles had as they preached the gospel and they were persecuted, they were tortured, they were beaten, and ultimately they were martyred, they were killed. 
And it comes from surrendering our control. Saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Who sang that song? I forget. Carrie Underwood. Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. But Jesus, you have to surrender your control onto him. It's for his purpose. When your life is not for your purpose, but for his purpose, right? When things start to go weird, you're like, oh, he's working it all out for his purpose and for his good, for his understanding of good. But then when we have when we when we have control of our, our our lives and when we're trying to hold on to control for our lives, we have a destination. We think, I want I, I want that. I want that right there. And I'm gonna get that. God help me get that. God, you can, can, you can do anything. Can you help me get that? And you start going, okay, I'm going to get that. And then when something happens and knocks us down, we're like, ah, why? Like, it's like I can't get that if, I, if, you know, if I'm on this road and it, it hits us again. Ah, and, it, and all of a sudden, every little knock that happens in our life, right, we crumble because we're, we're focused on that. I'm pointing at the little flower over there, right? Whatever that is in our lives, right, every time we get knocked down, we, we crumble because that is our goal. That is our, our destination. That is the desires of our heart. But then when we're living for God's purpose, right, he, this is why he only gives us a small portion of what's going to happen to us. right? When, when we're living for God's purpose, he doesn't give us the big picture. He's like, hey, I'm not going to show you where you're going. I'm going to show you me. I'm going to show you who I am. And when you really know and understand who I am, you're going to be, tr- you're going to be able to trust me no matter where you go, no matter what happens to you. It's not what you're looking at. It's me. You're going to know that I am good. I love you. That, I, that all of this I'm doing so that you can have my version of good. And ultimately... When we're living for God's purpose, when we've answered that call, saying, God, I'm not, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And whatever I do is, is for your glory and for your purpose. I want you to lead my life. I want you to guide my life. I want to surrender my life unto you for your purpose. And when that, when that is the life that you're walking in, I, I guarantee you it doesn't matter what it is that may come and try to block you, whatever it is that comes and makes you stumble, whatever it is that comes, whatever trials and whatever difficulties and whatever suffering and whatever persecution that may come, I guarantee you, you're going to be able to hold on to that joy. It comes from love. What does it say? All things work out for good for those who, what him? Love him. If you really love God, if you really have your eyes set on God, if you really have your eyes set on Jesus, if he's like your reward, right? you might not get that thing that you thought you wanted. You might not get to the place that you thought you needed to get to. You have him. And he's ultimately leading your life for his purpose, for his will. It's a joy that the disciples had, and it's a joy that Jesus had. As he hung on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. But they do not know what they do. And he says, and as he, as he literally, as he dies, he cries out, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. And the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him. 
Brothers, are we living lives of calling or are we living lives of circumstance? Are you answering his call for your life or are you trying to figure things out for yourself because there is no power in that? The power comes from his calling. The power comes from surrender. The power comes from saying, God, this is not my life. This is your life. I want you to do with it as you will. Because I know that you love me so much. I love you so much. I trust you. I trust that no matter where I'm going, not only are you with me, but all of this, all of the good and all of the bad, you're working out for your version of good. And next week, I want to talk about how to hear God's call for your life. How to hear God's call for your life. Every single one of you, you guys have a call. A, a distinct individual just for you, your call on your life. How do you hear that? And we'll talk about that next year, but for today, I'll end there. I want us to all stand up and let's pray. Let's hold hands.